Hello and welcome to Five Alive. We are here on Mother's Day and I want to say happy Mother's Day to my beautiful wife and happy Mother's Day to my mom. And uh, I'm sure Blair would like to say happy Mother's Day to her mom as well. As the kids would like to say, Happy Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. So, we are going to get right into the Word of God this morning. It's in John chapter 5, and we're going to read 17 verses, verse 30 through 47. And uh, just follow along with us. John chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. And since it's Mother's Day, I have asked Blair if she'll read for us. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that ye you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard, his form you have never seen. And you... Do not have his word abiding in you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings... How will you believe my words? So this passage of scripture, thank you so much for reading that, Blair. This passage of scripture is just absolutely amazing, and yet it's so in-depth, and there's so much deepness to this passage of scripture that I wanted to really bring out just a few points. And the first, and, uh, the first part of it is, is what we talked about in, in verse 30. And I'll reread that here again in just a second, but I just want to set it up that what we're talking about or what Jesus is testifying to here in this moment is he's testifying in a point of, uh, of, of what has been brought before him. So what we had at the start of John chapter five is we had a, a, a lame man, a man who could not walk. He was at the pool of Bethsaida and, and he, uh, Bethesda, and he uh, is there. Jesus is 
um, comes in, he sees him, he knows it's been a long time since he has uh, uh, been there, he's been lame for a long time, and he heals him. And as a result of this miraculous sign of this man being able to walk, all of a sudden, then the people, uh, specifically the religious leaders, what they do is they, they come against him and they say, how can you be equal with God? They say, how is it possible uh, um, that, that you, can, you can do these miracles? And, and when Jesus answers them in verse 17, my father is working until now and I'm working. This is when the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling himself or God, his father, making himself equal with God. This infuriated the people and uh, specifically the religious leaders. And what they're doing is, is they're basically, Jesus is acting like, okay, I've entered into a courtroom and what I'm doing is I'm going to give you a testimony of what's going on. So you have accused me of saying that I am equal with God. And I'm telling you, yes, I am equal with God. I am also telling you that I have authority, and I'm also telling you that I am the judge, and I judge people. And yet what we do is when we first enter into today's passage of Scripture, as Blair read in verse 30, it says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge. My own judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And the will of him who sent me is the will of God the Father. We know that God the Father sent the Son. But we also know that Jesus was born of the flesh, and of the flesh, he was born to the Virgin Mary. And of the Virgin, who is it that conceived inside of her a son? The Holy Spirit. Yeah, the Holy Spirit. And so the Holy Spirit also sent Jesus. And so what we have is we have the proof of the triune Godhead being put together in complete and perfect communion. Now, I find this fascinating because all of this is under God's will. All of this is happening under the authority of Jesus, but Jesus is also speaking on behalf of the authority of God the Father or God the Creator. Jesus is also speaking on behalf of the Holy Spirit, the one who is in Involved in our daily lives, working and moving and breathing throughout this whole entire earth, calling people unto right relationship with him. And Jesus still makes this very profound statement of, I can do nothing on my own. And so what he is doing is, is he's showing us the importance of how he is operating within life so that that way he is um, um, not by himself. But he is in operation as the Godhead. He is in operation on this earth. And so what we see is the notion that Jesus is saying, I am man made flesh, and yet I am God. I am the master. I am the savior. I am the redeemer. I am the king. And I hold ultimate authority. And yet his authority is subject unto the authority of God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And this is a perplexing thing for me to completely understand in my mind, and I cannot think of an equal example to be able to give this full description to us today because this is this is we're talking about who God is. We're talking about his majesty. We're talking about his, a, a, a mystical rev, um, uh, revelation of who he is. And he's revealing that to us. And he's not just revealing that to us in the person of Jesus, but in the person of the triune Godhead, not operating alone, but operating 
as three and one. And so what do you guys think of this whenever we talk about Jesus as the authority, but he can't operate alone? What does that, uh, uh, he can't do it on his own, do nothing on his own. He hears, he judges, but his judgment is just, but he's not doing it of his own judgment. He's doing it under the judgment of the will of him who sent him. What does that, what does that convey to you? So for me, I, I like the fact that this shows the humanness of who Christ Jesus is. So 100% Jesus is human and 100% Jesus is God. And the point of I can't do this on my own shows the human aspect of I, I, need, I need you, God. I need you, Lord, my Father. Um, I'm going to listen. I'm going to listen to you. I'm going to he- hear out your words and then I'll make a decision. And uh, I, I like that because that is how, how we are to be when we approach uh, Christ Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. You know, when we're reaching out to him, Lord, I don't know what's going on in this situation, but I'm going to listen and then, and then I'll decide of, of how to move forward in that. So it shows the 100% humanness of who Christ Jesus is and also yet yeah, the 100% of, um, of who he, you know, he's, he's God. So... Anyways, I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. And did you have anything to add? No, not really. Other than what mommy said, is that he's 100% God. So meaning that if he didn't, like, he does all this to obey God. And, but if, since he's 100% human and 100% God, if he didn't listen to what God had said, then it's not going to work properly. Like multiple times it says in scripture, God has asked King, David, Saul, Solomon, and all of them to do a certain act. But since they didn't trust in God completely and they did one thing their own way, it didn't work out properly. Mm. And that's why the judgment was on the Israelites for this certain period of time. And they had just come back from this around this time. And so with that, I see that Jesus realizes and knows that if he didn't do what God said and if he tried to do it all on his own and do his own thing, that it wouldn't work and that none of us would really be forgiven of our sins. Hmm. So, so we see the communion of what Jesus is being exemplary to us in the regards of operating within complete unity, perfect, perfect community with the Father and with the Holy Spirit. So the Father and the Holy Spirit, they sent Jesus onto this earth. He's 100% man. He's 100% God. And, um, and, and, and yet he is also a perfect judge on behalf of the Godhead. And it's through Jesus that we get salvation. Jesus is the way. Jesus is salvation. And what I mean by that is, is when he says, I can do nothing on my own, he's not emptying himself of who he is. He's proclaiming, yes, I'm God and I am equal with him. See, there's world religions out there that they don't like to look at the fact that uh, 
uh, a man could be God. They don't, they don't fully understand what Jesus is saying here. And that's what's so important about this passage of scripture is that when you come to these enlightenment moments where you're sitting underneath a tree and you're saying, oh, it's this mythical pathway. And if I do this and this and this, then maybe I'll achieve salvation. Or it's these four principles that if I live every day by doing this meditation and repeating the, this chant or this mantra over and over again, then I'll achieve salvation. Or if I empty myself of all that is evil, but also all that is good, then maybe I will achieve uh, perfection and holiness and godliness, and maybe even I'll become God. That's what world religions teach us. And yet that is not what Jesus says at all. What he says is, he says, I am the savior. I am the judge I am God, and he operates in complete, perfect union with the triune Godhead. And this is so vital for us to completely grasp, and yet it's something that eludes us so often because we have a difficulty understanding Jesus's place, the Holy Spirit's place, and God the Father's place because we want to think of them as separate, and yet they're not separate and yet they are separate, and yet they're equal, and yet they're not equal, and yet they have a job to do, and yet they have different jobs to do. And so sometimes we, th we forget the paradox of who God really is because our finite minds try and comprehend it in a way that makes us in charge of who God is, and we forget that he is our creator. Yeah, I, I agree with that because it's so easy to, when we're looking at scripture, when we're looking at the word of God, to look at a, a human and human life, you know, we can identify like with a Deborah or with an Esther or with a, a uh, Peter or a Paul or a Timothy. And then when we think, well, I can't identify with Christ. Mm -hmm. Well, because he's Christ. And so I, and, and that's who we are to identify ourselves with in order to walk in a right relationship with Christ Jesus as our personal Lord and Savior. So sometimes, like you said, in the finite mind, it's much easier to go, oh, well, I can, I can identify with this Bible character as opposed to Jesus himself, because there's no way I could ever be like Jesus. Yeah. So I, I believe that that finite mind, that was an intriguing point mm. to ponder. Yeah, yeah. And so we have, we have this concept of God operating in perfect unity, and what that makes me think about is it makes me consider um, my own life. And if Jesus, my, ex my Savior, if he operates in a realm of communion with others, those others being the Father God and the Holy Spirit, then who is it that I am supposed to operate amongst? I'm not supposed to go out and be a lone person. I'm supposed to go out and be somebody who operates in communion and community with others. Well, a little while ago, you were talking about emptying ourselves of everything, which a lot of world religions do say to do. Right. And just thinking about that right now, it, it sounds to me like emptying yourself of everything you have, all the good, all the bad, you just become a human husk or a robot. And you can do basic functions of life, but you have no personality. Mm. You have no point to live. Yeah. All you can do is go pick up a can, drink, like get food and water, you eat, you do a job, you come back home, and there's no point in living. 
because you're a robot and that's just what you're supposed to do for your life. That's what you're programmed to do because you have no personality or anything like that. That's what it sounds like to me anyways. Yeah. Oh, so so kind of like going back to the emptying yourself, like if I empty myself and I fill myself with what the guru teaches me to fill myself with, all I'm doing is just replicating what he's already done in the first place. And I'm becoming um, like whenever I make uh, biscuits, right? Yeah. We have a biscuit cutter and we use the same cutter to make all the biscuits so that that way they're all the same size. Yeah. And emptying yourself and then listening to the guru to, to refill you back up just makes you a biscuit cut of what he already is in the first place. Exactly. And you're not being anything different from what he is. And you're not, each person is a unique being, but the world religious is telling us to get rid of all that we are personally and uniquely and become like that man who claims He's a God without even saying he's God. Sure, sure. And and unfortunately, Christianity has become like that in some cases or many cases where when we walk into a church building, we think I need to dress like the pastor or if we're a woman, I need to dress like the pastor's wife or uh, we need to all drive the same car or we all need to do the same things or we all need to participate in the same things. And unfortunately, we've bought into the world religious idea of becoming all one body and, and, and not being the unique individual that he's called us to be. And that's exactly what I think is so important about the fact that Jesus understands who he is, and yet he operates in perfect unity with the triune Godhead. The Holy Spirit did not die on the cross. Jesus died on the cross, but that doesn't take away the significance of what the Holy Spirit does, and it doesn't remove his equality of Godship from Jesus. God the Father didn't sacrifice himself on the cross for our sins, and yet he didn't need to. That was Jesus's job, but that doesn't take God the Father's equality away from Jesus's equality or vice versa. What that does is that shows us that they operate in perfect unity within their distinct characteristics, yet unified characteristics at the same time. And again, like I said, this can become so perplexing and such a paradox and so confusing because God is God and I'm not God. Right. I'm very simple and, 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 and I can see uh, what I see. I can hear what I hear. And you know what? There's times that my ears get fooled and so do my eyes. And yet God can see everything perfectly. And so when Jesus is describing himself as operating within compute, complete union with the Father, with the Holy Spirit, This is a truth, and it is an example to us of how we as human beings have got to operate with each other sometimes, not just sometimes, every day. And and the example is, is that I entered into a marital union with my wife. And so therefore, I am responsible to bring information to her of what has gone on in my daily life. If I have gone out and I have worked and I have been at the lawyer's office or I've been at the office or if I've been at a courthouse or if I've done any of these things that I have to do on a regular basis when we're not on curfew lockdown that we've been on for the past six, seven weeks, uh, uh, but my day, my day is, is consumed with leaving the house and going out and operating s- 
what looks like independently of her, it is then my responsibility to communicate that back with my wife because she can't go with me to these different places. And so I show her that I love her by talking with her, by communicating with her, and by treating her as my equal, which she is. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And whenever I break that boundary of, of not communicating fully with my spouse, what I'm doing is, as I'm saying, I am elevating myself to a level of superiority over you. And what I do is I drive a wedge into our marriage that causes me to, um, to almost act as if I am uh, uh, falling out of love or I am a better person or I'm going to find somebody who will understand me better than you understand me because I'm not sticking to my responsibility of keeping her informed of what's really going on. And again, this isn't an exact uh, uh, example from what the Godhead is doing because obviously God knows all, sees all, is, you know, is able to operate in all places at all times. So the Father knows what the Son's doing, the Son knows what the Father's doing, and the Holy Spirit is there intricately working between the two on this earth. And yet my life as a husband I and my marital union have got to bring forth information to my wife and talk to her, not just on a regular basis, because that could be seen as once a week, but on a moment-by-moment daily basis. And, and how is that different than the way we're supposed to talk to God in prayer? I mean, is it? Is it different? What does the Bible say? It says to pray without So if I pray without ceasing, that means that moment by moment, I'm not just giving God a play-by-play. I'm inviting him to be a part of my daily life. Just as Jesus is constantly calling on God the Father and using the information that he gets from the Father, using the information that he gets from the Holy Spirit, and he's making judgments, and his judgment is just. I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is Jesus that he is ascribing all authority that he is given right back to our heavenly father and yet showing us that they're equal. And so I wanted to just kind of ask a question. Why do we attempt to operate within our own strength, do you think? Like, why do we constantly think, I can do this on my own? I don't need so-and-so to help me. I mean, I, I mean, I think it goes back to, like, you know, like, even in literature that we read, you know, there's those story plots of man versus man, man versus God, man versus nature, man versus beast. So, right? Did yeah. I name them all? Uh, and man versus a group. Yeah, a group. And so, I mean, when, when you look at that, you know, there's always that, that struggle and especially in that God-man relationship because man, we were born into this world as natural born sinners. And so, I mean, we've been born into a world of sin. I mean, we don't know a world without sin until we ask Christ Jesus into our heart as our personal Lord and Savior and believe on him and to change from those ways. It's, it's daily Um, but it's so easy to get caught up into the, I can do this on my own. Right. I've got this. Right. 
And because it's just, if I can do it, then it will just get done the way I need it to get done. And so it's, it's that, that power struggle of really not releasing self-control to Christ Jesus. Mm. Okay. Sure. So, so I, I, I kind of reworded a little bit here, and I'm going to ask the, the secondary question as a follow-up just to, to try and get us to think a little deeper. Uh, not that that wasn't just incredibly deep right there, but I mean, gosh, let's go a little deeper. Uh, why do uh, we go outside the union that God has created for us uh, to work, accomplish, and justify our lives? Why, why, do, we, why do we try and go outside of of whom he created us to be, and, and why do we accept false teachings? Why do we accept false ways of doing things? Why do we allow that stuff to get into our hearts and into our lives? It's tangible. Okay. It's tangible. It's, it's like if you get involved in a cult type of a situation, it's tangible because the person's right there, the teachings are right there, the, the human aspect of a human touch or a uh, personal void, maybe you're trying to fill a void sure. in, in the life. It's all right there. So you can surround yourself with a bunch of community, you know, and have a community type um, family. But yet that's not, that's not serving Christ Jesus. Yeah. That's not having that one-on-one -on -one personal relationship with Christ. It's just a coming of together because it's tangible. Right. It's just easy. Yeah, easy. It's easy. It's easy. Easy. I mean, I, I, that is exactly what I think of is, is what we're always doing is we're looking to escape the suffering. We're looking to escape the pain. We're looking to escape out of um, something that uh, maybe makes us feel like we're backed into a corner. And so what do we do in order to do that? Well, we do whatever the first easy thing is that comes along, the shortcut, if you will, in order to get out of this predicament that maybe even I got myself into in the first place. And so um, I kind of wrote out a little example of, of what we do sometimes when it comes to life. And that is this, um, God called me to a specific workplace. And so I go to my job uh, every day and there's a honeymoon period. It lasts six months. But after that six months, everything's no longer, you know, everybody's saying hi and greeting me and going over and, and spending time with my coworkers. Instead, now there's tensions that have started to arise. I don't like the way so-and-so looks every single day. I don't like the way so-and-so does their work. Um, I'm responsible for the way so-and-so over here does their work and they never listen to me. And so I wish secretively, and then I start verbalizing out loud, I wish they would get fired. And if I could take this information to the boss, then I'm going to get this person fired. And these tensions arise within the workplace. And so as these tensions arise, what we do is, is as a good Christian person, we pray, God, remove this hardship and, and yet God's answer to us is, I've given you grace and I've given you forgiveness. Right. And we sit there and we hear, you've given me grace and you've forgiven me forgiveness. Well, but that doesn't have anything to do with my hardship, God. You need to take this hardship away. You need to take this tension away. You need to remove it from me and make life easier for me. And so we go back to work and the tension persists and it persists for weeks and months, and maybe even years. And eventually what we do is, is we stop praying altogether. 
We stop trusting in God and we stop even saying anything to him because what our heart says to us is, if he's not going to remove this obstacle, then I'm going to give him an, an ultimatum. If he won't remove the, if he will remove the obstacle, I'll trust him. If he doesn't, then I'm not going to trust God anymore because he can't be a good and loving God because he's allowing me to go through this hardship and he's allowed me to go through it for X number of days or X number of years. And that's not what a loving God would do. So I can't trust God. That's one of the ways we look at it. Another way we look at it is, as we say, you know what, I'm going to find somebody else who can help me. God's not doing it for me. Jesus isn't there answering me. In fact, when I pray, I don't even hear his voice anymore. And so you know what? I'm gonna go find somebody who will tangibly answer me, as you mentioned already, Blair. And, and, and that's what we do. Or we do a third thing, or we do all three of these things. But the third thing is, is I'll do it myself. You, you said that also. I'm gonna do this. You know, if you can't do something, if you can't find somebody to do things right for you, you know what? You better just do it yourself. And I know this is a crazy hypothetical, but it's one that's very true to the workplace. It's very true to our schools. It's very universities. It's very true of the way we operate in our daily lives is when we have attention come up, uh, uh, what we do is we start placing blame on God and we, and we don't listen to the fact that his grace, his mercy, and his forgiveness are sufficient for us. And it pretty much just sounds like what we're doing is throwing a temper tantrum, doesn't it? If I don't get my way, then you know what, God, you just don't exist. If I don't get my way, then you know what, I'm just going to go over to this other God, whatever that other God would be. Isn't that idolatry? I'll find somebody else who will help me. That's idolatry. Consumerism. If I don't like something, I'm just going to go out and buy something else. So consumerism. If I don't like this God, well, I'm going to find a God that works for me. Sure. Sure. Or even I just thought of a fourth one. I didn't even prepare this in my notes, but a fourth thing that we do is, is when we don't get our way, we try and find something that will comfort us so that that way we can make it through another moment of another day. What, what is the comfort? It's different for everybody. It can be, it can be uh, substances. It could be people. It can be material goods, consumerism. You're exactly right. It can be all these things. And so what we do is we find a way to no longer work in perfect union and unity, but instead we go and we try and do it on our own, within our own power, within our own strength, within our own grasp, and we remove God completely from the equation. And yet the example that Jesus gives us is, I can do nothing on my own. What I said earlier is that God, Jesus is 100% man and 100% God. And if you remove God out of the equation, it doesn't work properly. Yeah. Right. It's a math problem, but you miswrote a number. So you got the whole answer wrong because you wrote that one number wrong. Yeah. Because that number is important to get you to the right answer. Yeah. yeah. God is important in the life equation. Most definitely. Most definitely. And so we see Jesus operating as a, as a judge, but he can do nothing outside of the one who sent him, which is our heavenly father, which is 
the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus then continues on in the passage of Scripture, and I'm just going to briefly go through what what he does. Is he says, "I am not reliant. I'm reliant on the fact that I'm equal with God, not on my own testimony, but on the testimony of others." And he says, "If I just gave testimony of myself, that testimony enough wouldn't be valid enough. There has to be other witnesses of who I am." And so, who are those witnesses? Well, he mentions in verses 33 through 36. John the Baptist. John testifies that I am God. Then he says the works and miracles in verse 36. The works or the miracles that I'm doing, these signs and wonders that I'm performing, they're a testimony to the fact that I'm God. Then he goes even further and he says in verse 36 through 38, he says, God the Father, the Creator, testifies that I am equal to Him. And then he goes even further and he says, Scripture testifies that I am God. And that's found in verses 39 and 40. And then finally, he says, Moses testifies that I am who I say that I am. And I specifically chose that wordage because I wanted to reference what Moses talks about. When he says, um, when God calls him in the wilderness and says, go and take the Israelites out of Egypt into the promised land, Jesus says, who should, who should I say sent me? And God said, tell the people I am who I am sent you. And that's exactly the way Jesus talks about himself. He says, I am who I am. In other words, he calls himself equal with God because he is. And Moses brings testimony or testifies to that. And so we got to keep in mind that that's what Jesus is doing is, is that he's bringing forth the judgment as if he's in a courtroom and he's saying, there are these witnesses that testify that I am who I say that I am. And you brought an accusation against me, and I could very easily turn that around and put an accusation on you. That's what he says in verse 45, right? In verse 45, he says, do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. Instead, there is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you've set your hope. Now, when I was first studying this, I kind of was thinking through some stuff along the lines of what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 18. In Deuteronomy 18, Moses gives a, a prophecy that there's going to be somebody that comes along that has the words of life and, and hope and, and, and goes on and talking about that. And I thought, you know, that's a really good point. That's exactly what, what Jesus is talking about here. And then I got to thinking, you know what, maybe that's not what he's talking about. Maybe what Jesus is talking about is as he's, refer, he's in this moment talking to religious leaders. And who is it that the religious leaders get their power from? Man. Okay, they get the power from man, but what, why does man give them the power? They feed their ego. Okay, they feed their ego, but what is it that they hang their hat on in order to be supreme over the people that they're suppressing? Moses. Moses is the one who appointed the priests and all that other stuff, and then they kept that tradition. So they're saying Moses is the one who put us where we are, and that's why we're higher than you, because we're the preachers and the pastors, and we know what he says, and we're right always. Right. And he gives them one more thing in order to give them that enforcement that they need, and that is a three-letter word, law. He gives them the law. He says, 
thou shalt not steal, thou shalt not commit adultery, thou shalt not covet, thou shalt, and all of these rules and regulations, and that's, isn't that why Jesus, they're upset at Jesus in the first place? Remember this fourth commandment, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, and Jesus broke this commandment whenever he healed the lame man at the pool, and they say, there's no way, this guy is a lawbreaker, and Jesus says, Listen, you're accusing me of being a lawbreaker, but I'm not, you haven't even recognized the fact that Moses is accusing you. The accusation you've brought against me isn't going to stick because I have testimony of who I am. And what I'm telling you is, is Moses is testifying against, against you because of the things you just spoke about, Xavier, about you are the priest. And so therefore you've put yourself in these elevated positions and that's not what the purpose of the law was at all. No. And it says take the Sabbath and keep it holy. And them coming to accuse Jesus is not keeping the Sabbath. Right. They're doing work for themselves to feed their own eagle. Oh, and that is breaking the law that they themselves are supposed to uphold. So basically you're calling them hypocrites? Yes. But didn't Jesus call them hypocrites too? Yes. Yes, he did. And so uh, Jesus is, is going through and he's saying, I'm not going to accuse you for your actual uh, negative and lawbreaking. Moses is accusing you. And so, because, and he's saying this, he says, for if you believed Moses, you would believe me for, he, for Moses wrote about me. He says this in verse 46. And so why is Moses so important in this instance? And I look through our church uh, fathers, our, our, our Old Testament fathers, uh, and, 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 and break it down like this. We talk about Abraham, and we used to sing a song when we were little kids. I know Blair and I used to, and it was, Father Abraham had many sons, many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And yet, <laughs> and yet I'm not of Jewish descent. I'm of a Gentile descent. So how is Abraham my father? Because Abraham's seed, which is afar off, would be brought into communion with God. And so therefore I am a child of Abraham. So Abraham is my father. Joshua is a warrior, right? Joshua came in and and, and took over the promised land, the land that was promised the people, the Israelites by God. And Joshua was the warrior that led them into battle. David is the king, right? They all, we always reference King David. How many other kings have there been in Israel's day? Those aren't the ones that we always look to though, are they? We always look to King David. Uh, Isaiah, he was a prophet. And Moses, he was the lawgiver. You wouldn't want to look to the other kings. I've read about them. That's no, they're not good. <laughs> I mean, there were some good ones, and those ones are cool. But like, other than that, no, I wouldn't want to talk about the other guys. Right. I agree. Really yeah, it's, good, it's good to learn from the mistakes. Yeah, it's absolutely. Good to learn from the mistakes, definitely. Absolutely. Uh, but. These are all attributes of who God is. When we read the Old Testament, we see that Abraham is the father of us. That's an attribute of God that's displayed through Abraham. When we see that Joshua is a warrior, that's supposed to encourage us that we are two warriors. And when we see that David was a king, that's to show us that we are now, as children of God, we are of a royal 
a royal priesthood. And when we see the prophet Isaiah, we're shown that we too can be prophetic. And when we see that Moses is the lawgiver, we see that the laws are put there, not for somebody to empower themselves over us, but the laws are set in place to remind us of what our evil desires are and to turn from them in complete repentance and seek after God instead of doing that that thing. And so I wrote a little example out again, and it says, religious leaders are empowered by creating and enforcing the laws. That's what these men are doing, that they're speaking to Jesus. And so therefore, they're perverting the law. In other words, they would say, thou shalt keep, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. And so as Xavier already fully brought out, they weren't doing it then themselves because they came to Jesus. They probably already went over their quote unquote, amount of walking they should have done for that day. And they're bringing forth a group of other people. So that means they sent out people to gather other religious leaders. And then now they're all coming and they're getting upset at Jesus for doing something. And they're in all of that, they're breaking the Sabbath themselves because now they're holding a court and putting Jesus on trial for something that he is. And so you have this. And so why do they do, why would they choose to prosecute somebody in such an instance? Well, maybe they're looking for a favor to be given to them. Maybe they're looking to gain money. Maybe they're pow- maybe because as they can push somebody down underneath them, their power increases and they look like they're more holy or more righteous. But the reality is, is when law, the law was uh, put into place, it, wasn't to op- it was to open our eyes to the fact that we are sinful people we're a sinful people. I do things wrong on a daily basis and I repent on a daily basis. And so Moses, the lawgiver, accuses the very ones whom use the words that, of Moses to oppress God's creation. And that's why he is accusing them. The law was given to point to Jesus. The law points to his perfection. The law points out our imperfection. And the law was given to raise up a desire within us to look to and for someone, the one, Jesus, who could remove our imperfection and be the way of perfection for us. And that's what I've seen in this passage of scripture today is, is that's exactly who Jesus is. He is God. He is equal to God and he's judge. He's a judge. And that scares us. Why does it scare us so much that God judges us? Why are we so fearful of that? Are we fearful because we know the wickedness that our heart really has in it? Are we fearful because we know that our thoughts aren't being taken captive and put under the subjection of what the Holy Spirit wants to really filter through and speak into our lives? What are we doing whenever we, whenever we throw out that statement, don't judge me lest you want to be judged? Are we putting ourselves in the place of God when we throw that kind of verse of Scripture out? Is that what we're doing? But people throw out that Scripture verse like as a as a like a what do you call it like a like a threat? Oh, if you judge me, then I'm going to judge you back. It's going to be better. I'm going to be better at judging you than you are at judging me. But that's not what the point of that was. It's just saying you're allowed to judge people and other things. But just know you're going to be judged for all also while you're judging others. So who's the one that's judging you? 
ultimately. God's always judging us. God. But it is a, it can become a shame-based. That's what I mean. It's shame. It's shaming a person into thinking, oh, well, then I can't judge anybody because that's ungodly. Whenever God is judging us ultimately for what we do wrong on this earth. But we so, we so want to believe in a human being that they can see our innermost being. And, and they can't. No. Only God can see that. And that's the beauty of who Christ is. No man can see the ugly, ugly evil things that one does no. throughout the day, throughout the night, right. throughout private, the morning. No. In but private, they try and act like they private. do know. Mm-hmm. They try and act like they can throw their opinion on you. And what they think you're doing when you sometimes you're not even doing that. They're just trying to be harsh and critical on you, meaning making themselves bigger and badder <laughs> and better than you. And basically the three B's bigger, badder, better. Yeah. Bigger, badder, better. <laughs> That's what they're trying to do. I came up with that on the spot. I've never heard of that. <laughs> but I, I also like, I mean, at the end of, of the scripture of John four, of bringing in Moses. John 5. Oh, John 5. I am so in the wrong chapter. So John 5, verse 47, you know, bringing out Moses. I always like how Christ Jesus himself always points back to the old and to the new. And that the message of accepting Christ as your personal savior isn't just for the young it isn't just for the new. It's also for the old and the new and the in-betweens. It's for all man. Yeah. It's, and I, I like that. It's just the simplicity mes- message of Christ Jesus. Yeah. Well, and, and, and as Xavier was bringing out earlier of the whole, the whole cultural side of things, like God's not calling us to give up our culture. He's not calling us to give up our uh, hair color. Uh, he's not telling us to, um, um, wear makeup or not wear makeup. Like he's not judging us in accordance with those things. That's what mankind does in order to try and be supreme over other people. As you were saying just a second ago, like there is this idea that if I can push other people down, then I'm going to feel better about myself. It's almost like one of those ways that we were talking about earlier in the first point, which is, is, is that we find these ways, um, to, to, uh, to remove uh, the obstacle is, is we look to, um, sometimes we look to a, another substance. And sometimes that substance that we're looking to is power. I want to look down on somebody else because their skin color is not the same color as mine. I want to look down on somebody else because their language is more um, barbaric than mine is. And we use those words that are hurtful words and we uh, draw an opinion of people, and sometimes we do it off of just cliche thought process, processes. And, and the reality is, is that's not what Jesus is doing. He's not an accuser. In fact, the Bible talks about one who is an accuser. And that is the enemy of God. The accuser is the enemy of God. And that's why Jesus says, I did not come to accuse you. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 16, which we read a few weeks ago, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
perish, but have everlasting life or eternal life. And then it goes on, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. That's so vital for us to remember on a daily basis when we're working with people that we don't get along with. When we try and pull away from our family members, not getting to know our children for who they really are, or getting to know our spouse in a more deep or intimate way, because I've been married for over 20 years, and Blair, you're not the same person that I married 20 years ago. And I guarantee you, you can say the same thing about me. I'm not the same person I was 20 years ago. We're, we're changing, and hopefully we're changing for the better, prayerfully. Yet at the same time, in order to know how much we've changed, we have to be in constant union with each other. And that third person that we need to be in union with, I need to be in union with, is God. I have got to be in total, complete submission to his authority. He then gives me authority on this earth to do what he's called me to do, to do my job, to, to care for this planet, to uh, do all the things that are talked about throughout scripture. But yet at the same time, I only have that authority because he's gifted it to me, not because I named it and claimed it. And so as we, as we go today, I just wanna encourage all of us today to continue to seek after a deeper relationship with Jesus. Continue to seek after him with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength to see how important Jesus is in the Old Testament and New Testament alike. That's what we, we saw that today, that uh, Jesus said, the scripture testifies of who I am, the Old and the New Testament alike. And so let us continue to seek after Jesus with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And let's close in prayer this morning. Father God, we praise you and we thank you for how good you are. You're a good, you're just, you're a good and just God. You judge us in accordance with your laws and your laws are holy and pure. You perfect us each and every day to be more like you. And so Lord, we just continue to lay down our lives in the areas that we're needing repentance. We repent of those things that we have taken against you. And we ask that we would be put into complete and perfect submission with you. And that as you continue to speak to our hearts and speak to our lives in the days ahead, uh, that we would renew our minds, that we would uh, turn away from our wicked ways, and that we would continue to seek after your face. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Yeshu Kanam Semantehe. Amen.